It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Thanks to Mama May for supporting Mama on a Mission, the solution for busy, time-poor working mums who want nutritional, organic food for their baby and toddler delivered frozen to their door. This has honestly been a lifesaver for me. As a very busy mum running a business and juggling all the plates, I know that you feel me on this, I am too tired to cook. So no more stressing or worrying about mealtimes. This subscription service is every working mama's dream, I promise. Get your 25% off your first three Mama Made boxes with the exclusive code only on this podcast, Mama Mission 25. I will leave the link in the show notes. You're listening to Mama on a Mission. And welcome to the Mama on a Mission podcast. I'm your host, Charlotte Jonesy, certified positive psychology coach, business mentor, and mum. I thought I ruined my life when I had a baby. After a traumatic 90 hour labour and struggling through a very messy start to motherhood with postnatal depression, I lost my mind, identity, confidence, and I hated my postpartum body. Now I adore being a mum and I'm more motivated than ever. I've built a successful business that gives me the freedom and flexibility to be with my family and I set up this podcast to help mums not feel alone in their struggles. I am a mama on a mission to imperfectly empower mums postpartum and beyond. My goal is to help one million mums improve their mental health, shift their mindset, get body confident and reach their goals without the mum guilt. Together on this show, we are going to redefine what it means to be a working mum in the modern world, whether you're looking to build a side hustle, make money online, or pivot in careers. This is your non-judgmental mum club that helps you grow in every area of your life because taking care of you is taking care of your kids too. Now let's dive in. Hello and welcome to Mama on a Mission podcast. Uh, You're going to love this guest today because she's so fucking real. She's very raw. She's very honest and she's actually hilarious. You may or may not know her. It's actually Kat Sims from Not So Smug Now, who creates the best content on social media, whether it's comedy or controversial. She is a wife, she's a mum of two, and she's a big mental health advocate as well. And I want to welcome her to the show today. Hi, Kat. Hi, Charlotte. Thanks for having me. Those intros are always, whenever you hear somebody do an intro for you, it's always so weird because you're like, it's so easy to just go, do you know what, honestly, half the time I just fuck around on Instagram. But then it's like you hear that intro and you go, actually, no, I do do some stuff. I love that but that's the intro you need to have all the time isn't it yeah I just fuck around on Instagram but the reality is that it's actually a lot of effort and a lot of fucking work isn't it it is I mean listen it is I'm very conscious that it's we're not at the coalface though like as much as it is hard work it's all relative and I don't want to sit here 
a lot of people work a lot harder than I do, honestly. But it is a fun way to earn a living, for sure. And actually, I'd love for you to share how you got to that stage, really, because you kind of blew up on Instagram. You're also on TikTok as well, right? Yeah. And you just create, like, comedy sketches, but you also talk about topics that are quite controversial, which I love as well, and things that need to be said. But how did you get to this point? Like, what's the journey? I mean, I had my first baby in 2013 and by July 2014 I was in the deepest darkest depths of postnatal depression although I didn't really know it and I certainly wasn't diagnosed for another few months and I'd always been a writer I'd always either done copywriting I used to be an English teacher so it felt natural to me to write a blog and I wrote a blog very much about how the world needs to be a safer space for mums to say I'm not enjoying this it's hard. I want to put them out by the bins. And that went mental. That one blog just went, and this is well before Instagram or anything like that. And so I just continued and I carried on writing. I very quickly realized the three things you never write about are co-sleeping, breastfeeding, and oh, well, that will come to me. Let's hope I remember before I mess that up. Anyway, uh, so you don't talk about those things, or at least you couldn't when I started. It was a very polarized audience you know it was either you were a crunchy mum or you were a shit mum basically and there was nothing in between there was no nuance about actually I can love my kids but not love the job of motherhood those two things can be true at the same time and why would you why Mm. would you necessarily love the job of motherhood we can we can love it for like the fact that it keeps our kids safe but actually it's okay to find bloody picking socks out of the sofa every single minute of the day boring and irritating you know and it's all right to feel like you want to run into a furnace instead of play tea parties for the 15th time that day so it's you know this was kind of where I was coming from but there was nobody saying that there was nobody saying it's really really hard and I don't really like it I love my kids but I don't really like the job so I kind of took that stance and then Instagram came along and this is still obviously well before any influences or anything like that but that started to grow. But it wasn't until lockdown. So we're talking six years of hard graft. I think at lockdown, I had about 30,000 followers. And then lockdown came on. And obviously, like everybody else, I was just completely, what am I going to do? Like what Instagram's not making me the money I need to make. I can't work anymore because we're in lockdown. I'm gonna have to get a proper job. And so I came off Instagram for a while. And uh, and just thought I'll mess about on TikTok and I loved TikTok and I and Reels wasn't on Instagram yet and A, I could just get on there and do what I wanted because nobody was really watching, I was brand new on TikTok but B, it was funny and that's what I've been really missing from Instagram. I think Instagram got to this point where it just became quite sterile, quite curated, a bit, and a, a bit, there wasn't much of a sense of humour whereas on TikTok I would scroll through just belly laughing and crying and during the pandemic that's what I needed so I just messed around and then Instagram brought reels out and I put all of my TikTok stuff onto reels and I think uh because they were pushing reels they just kept promoting my stuff and I grew so quickly and that's about where we are now yeah that was probably long a longer answer than you expected (laughs) 
No, it's a good answer. And I completely agree. Like Instagram was way too curated. And thankfully that actually came out of the pandemic, didn't it? Where people were actually being a bit more like sharing their personality and being a bit more human and actually saying, you know what? Like, I don't like cooking or baking a banana cake whatever everyone's doing in the pandemic like banana loaf or banana bread everyone's doing that like it's okay to not want to do that and to your point that's also kind of what I've been sharing as well and didn't really kind of I've, I feel like I fell into kind of being a quote-unquote mummy blogger but I, I mean I didn't even know that I was gonna have a baby it kind of just happened really unexpectedly four months into my relationship it was crazy I had to move in with him wow really quickly because we had to choose a household and it was only four months in and it was a real risk and best thing that ever happened but we're still you know still going so I feel like if we can do the pandemic and do a baby and do lockdown we're pretty all right (laughs) but I also struggled with postnatal depression and that's what I was sharing on my Instagram very naturally because I was like I just couldn't see postpartum bodies or postnatal depression on Instagram and that's how naturally my following started as well and I would love for you to kind of share how like what was the response to you sharing that real raw honesty like what things come up I mean and this is kind of really important point because Honestly, when I've been honest about those things like mental health or sobriety or whatever it is, almost without exception, the response is positive. And I think so many people spend so much time not saying anything for fear of being shamed or not listened to. And in my experience, whenever I've talked about those things that a lot of people feel worried about talking about the response has been overwhelmingly positive and supportive I've not had any and I was really surprised like when I came out as sober and I was really surprised about the lack of judgment there there was nothing but support and so I think that's one of the key things I want to say in general across all of the things I do is that I'm very comfortable talking about all of those things and for I don't know why I don't have a boundary on that I don't have a fear or an embarrassment or anything and it saved my life being able to talk about those things being able to say I'm not right like this postnatal depression I thought I was just like what every new mum would be because I've just got a baby who doesn't sleep so I thought of course I'm tired and exhausted and angry and all of this stuff and depressed of course I am I've got a new baby but it was so much more than that and you know, when I was diagnosed, it was such a relief. Because I was like, oh, I'm not a terrible mum. I'm actually ill. Mm. Who knew? But in my experience, you know, if, if there is anybody listening that's worried about speaking up about depression or mental health or anything, in my experience, I have never had anything but support. I mean, listen, I've had a few trolls on another website that we shall not name talk about me saying that you know I've come out as an alcoholic for content of all the things I would do for content that's like the last thing um but other than that generally people are supportive and people are good and kind and so my response has always been really positive and that's not a selfless thing like it's good for me to talk about these things Mm. because those positive supportive responses genuinely help me 
you know, so the response has always been good. And if it wasn't for people like yourself or like myself that actually don't have those boundaries that just say, this is me and I'm going to share this because I'm being honest, then who else do people relate to? Otherwise, it is still that perfection and that perfect world that we live in and everyone's comparing themselves to Mrs. Five Kids that keeps her house really clean and tidy and everything's perfect to and like I I got trolled recently and I did an episode on this actually which it's episode eight I think but I got trolled on my house being untidy I was like I'm a working mum I barely get any time and yeah it is going to be messy like you said about picking up socks every time like unless I am literally cleaning my house 24 7 with a toddler that literally picks things out of the bin of our recycling and puts it all over the place like you it's impossible so don't judge someone based on it but you need people like us like yourself to stand up and go yeah it is hard it is like this that's the reality it doesn't mean that I'm less of a mum or less of a, a a person does it no and it's you know before I had postnatal depression I think the only time I'd ever seen it was on soaps you know and that was the only people I don't know some soap character maybe Stacey on EastEnders or something had postnatal depression and that was all I saw so mm. you're right it is important that we talk about these things and I know I know that a lot of what I do is just messing around on Instagram. That's fine. But actually, some of the things that I do talk about, I also know do really help some people in terms of in, like giving them the confidence to ask for help or recognising mm. that there's something wrong when they've just kind of been ignoring it. So, you know, I'm proud of that. And I'm proud that we can talk about that stuff. And I And I love Instagram for that. And there's a lot of things people can say about social media. But there is also a lot of good that can happen there. Mm, it definitely is. I think social media gets such a bad stick a lot of the time, doesn't it? But actually, in the pandemic, if it wasn't for the community that I had and the mums relating to to me, I would feel so alone because it can be quite isolating as a new mum anyway. So it's having really, that... It's really isolating. This is the thing. Yeah. Like, I don't care how much, how much family you've got around, and I didn't actually have any family around, but... And my husband was, he was home for the first month and then he went away on tour for seven months. So I was really on my own. But even if I hadn't have been, you can still feel incredibly isolated because the world isn't a safe space for us as women to turn around and go, I'm finding motherhood hard. You know, and so because you don't feel like you can talk about those things, even you might be surrounded by people, but if you're miserable and you're struggling and you don't feel like you can say it, that's a really lonely place to be and it's isolating because nobody else in your family gets it. You know, your husband doesn't get it because it's just not the same. Obviously the kids don't get it because they're the root of all our pain. And it's, you know, and our parents, grandparents, just everything's rose-tinted glasses. So it can be so so isolating and I think that's I think that's a really important point to make to to new mums it doesn't actually matter whether you're surrounded by people you can still feel really lonely in the job of motherhood there's still those middle of the nights that feel like they go on forever nobody else is there with you there's still the times when you're at home alone with your baby who will not stop crying nobody else is there with you like that's hard yeah what would you say to those mums that 
feel that isolation or that loneliness is there anything that you would advise to go and do yeah I mean I think you have to talk about it and I think the first thing is talk to your partner because I didn't talk to my husband about any of this stuff like I just sort of as I said just like well this is what being a new mum's like you don't have to be miserable as a new mum you don't have to do it all by yourself and not talking to my partner about that stuff caused such a rift in our marriage that we nearly divorced four years later because we just never really got over that first year and it breaks my heart to say this but that first year of of my eldest's life was the worst year of my life like it was I was mentally on the floor it was awful and I didn't want to admit that I didn't want to talk about it but when I did finally we got ourselves into couples therapy and this all came out he was like I had no idea how bad it was and I'd never told him I'd never said I'm really struggling mentally. I don't, you know, I never had any of that. So I think it's really important. Talk to your husband, say you're finding it difficult. And then the other thing I would do is look look for groups. I mean, I'm, I'm in London and I was so fortunate to find Mother's Meeting, which is founded by Jenny Scott, who is phenomenal. And basically she was like, there's a gap in the market for mums here who want more than just a dusty church hall and a soggy custard cream at playgroup like they want something more and so she created mother's meetings where like she did events at Soho House that had cool speakers and you could bring all your kids and your babies and they could all play in the middle and we like made friends and that saved my life because I was like oh there's a little bit of me here this isn't just the wheels on the fucking bus this is like I'm getting something out of this. The kids are playing and having a great time and I'm meeting people that get it. Yeah. So, you know, have a look and find, you know, find those Instagram accounts that make you feel better. Mm. Just block the ones that don't because there is so much good stuff on social media, but you do have to be ruthless. Yeah. I love those three points. So you have to have an open dialogue, whether that's with your partner or whether that's with your mum or with somebody, just have that open dialogue. Like, don't sit in it yourself. Two, look for groups like mothers' meetings. I've never heard of mothers' meetings, so I'm going to have a look at that. And find people, find your tribe, find people that you connect with, who you relate to, and get rid of anyone that makes you feel inferior because you can create curate your content, can't you? You can. And also remember that you're the one making yourself feel inferior. And I know that that feels really counterintuitive, but essentially you can only control your reactions to something. Mm -hmm. And if you're looking at something that makes you feel crappy, it's really important to question why that's making you feel that because it's all right for that person to have a perfect life. I mean, it's irritating, but it's, that's fine. They can put what they like on the internet. So why is it bothering you so much? You know, talk about those things. Yeah, I completely agree, actually. And this comes back to the comparison trap, really, doesn't it? And I actually say, celebrate that person, like flip it, actually celebrate what they've achieved and what they've done. But then look inwards and say, why is that triggering you? Because there's something within you. So maybe it is that you need to take action on something that's making you feel like shit. So if it is, you know, you think she's got the perfect health, the perfect everything and you don't. Okay, well, why is that triggering you? Like, what do you need to do? 
because it's all within us at the end of the day, isn't it? I want to just go back to you mentioning that you had couples therapy because in in motherhood, parenting, it's really, really challenging. Uh, it's a challenging process full stop, isn't it, with your partner? And I don't think you know what to expect. And I honestly think it either makes or breaks you really. And that's really cliche to say, but it does. Um, and personally, like my partner of I and I have gone through a really tough phase that we've had to go and get therapy as well, actually. And I just want to normalize this for a minute because I was the one that said, we need to do this with someone who's a mediator rather than, you know, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm right, you're wrong, and vice versa constantly. It's about having, again, open dialogue and actually going, okay, let's have a space where we can share without feeling like you're going to be attacked by the other one because you've got a different opinion. So I'd love to know what your experience is and what you've learned and how that's really helped your relationship and what the struggles were. So the struggles were, again, it all rooted from that first year, but it, but that first year triggered quite a lot of childhood stuff for both of us. All of this is only understood since we came through therapy. But there was so much resentment at the end of that first year that we never talked about. You know, I felt left alone. Whenever he came home, he was so good and he would just take the baby. And that was great. But then I just felt like really again, more alone, really isolated, like I wasn't a good mum. And he was just like, why can't you just be a normal mum? You know, there was all this resentment going on. We never talked about it. Um, I needed so much from him that I wasn't getting and he needed so much from me and and I couldn't give it to him. And it, it just bubbled up over three years, honestly. And when my oldest was about four, I decided that I, this is me, this is so typically me, I decided that I was going to leave him and I, I hadn't even told him this yet, but I'd got a flat round the corner where we could bird's nest. And in my head, like I've got all this worked out. Um, so when I'm with the kids, I'm at home and he's in the flat. And when he's with the kids, he's at home and I'm in the flat. So the kids stay where they are and we bird's nest it and it's going to be fine. That's what I'm telling myself. And um, I say, tell my husband this. And he's just obviously devastated because in my head, I've been thinking about this for a long time. So for me, I'm like at peace. I've like figured it out. It's going to be fine. And for him, it was like a sledgehammer. And he just begged me to go to couples therapy one more time. We had been before, but I hadn't really been honest in couples therapy before because um, my husband is genuinely the nicest person in the world and I'm very I struggle with vulnerability and admitting my part in things and so in therapy he'd be really willing to accept blame and I'd just be like yeah see it's all his fault so I hadn't I'd sort of been cheating at therapy before so we went back and I thought well I'm gonna have to do it and actually for six weeks for the first six weeks we did not speak to each other outside of therapy we lived in the same house and as far as the kids were concerned, we were civil and we chatted. But beyond that, if the kids went around, we just didn't speak because neither of us trusted each other to be able to have a conversation that wasn't going to end in something awful. And so we didn't. And slowly it got better because I think what had happened is that we'd stopped listening to each other. We were so caught up in our own resentments and our own anger and what we thought everybody else had done wrong 
that we'd stopped. I mean, we didn't even have to listen. We weren't even asking the questions. And, you know, it was just so helpful to go to a place where we knew it was safe to talk about anything and everything because we weren't going to get into a fight there. Like, I mean, we might, but it was safe. You know, it was like she was going to help us work it out. And it absolutely changed everything. It changed everything. And you talk about how normalize, like wanting to normalize couples therapy. More than that, I just, I want to promote it. Like, I, I don't care if you don't think there's anything wrong with your relationship. I genuinely think you can go into couples therapy and you will benefit from it and it will make your relationship stronger. I've heard so many people go, my husband won't go to therapy because he thinks that that's just the final nail in the coffin and then we divorce. And I'm like, don't let it get there. Don't let it get to crisis point before you end up in therapy. I think we were really, really lucky. Like we were at crisis, it was done and we came back from it. But that's not, that doesn't always happen. And so I think it, everybody should be in therapy. I think people should be in therapy as a couple before they get married. I think people should be in therapy before they have a baby, immediately after they have a baby. You know, these are huge transitions. And society doesn't give any weight to the impact of that. It's like, yeah, you got married. Everybody gets married. That's what you do. Move on. Well, yeah, you had a kid. Everybody has a kid. That's what you do. Move on. There's no room for anybody to go, hang on a minute. I'm not dealing with this that well. So, yeah, couples therapy was absolutely the best thing that we have ever done. And our relationship now, we've been married nearly 11 years, actually. Our relationship now is so... Now I get what marriage is. Now I get what it is. I had absolutely no idea, no idea what marriage was when I walked down the aisle. Absolutely no idea. Nothing. And now I'm like, no, now I get it. That's so interesting to hear that because, like, I guess we only get what marriage is from what we're told or what society says it is. And what we see. Yeah, which is mostly on the TV or on films or, and it's idolised. Or your own parents. True. Yeah, and your own parents. Like, my parents are great. Would I say that they've got the happiest marriage? No. Do I think that, and this sounds really obnoxious and my mum would probably give me a boxing around the ears for it. But like, do I think that I know more about how to manage a successful marriage? Do I think our communication is better than my parents? Like we broke the cycle. Like we were in that relationship where, you know, that way that I don't know if your mum's like this or your parents like this, but my mum was always a bit snarky to my dad. Like that was her love language always. Always like, oh, for goodness sake, Chris, you know, oh God, I mean... I don't know, you'd get, I've been married to him 20 years, you'd get less for murder, oh, don't even, you know, all of that stuff, and it all sounds jokey and fun, but actually there's no real communication or love, like, every time she says something like that, there's a teeny tiny resentment that's building up that she's just sort of brushing off with a joke, and, you know, they have been married now for 45 years or something, I mean, they're, they're together, they always will be, but it makes me grateful that we, I was able to shift my relationship and my view of what a marriage was from that to what I have now, which, you know, it's basically the key takeaways were you're not bearing each other in mind, which was such a good way 
to say it. I, she used to say, you just didn't feel kept in mind. And I was like, that's exactly it. It's not like I want him, you know, to do everything, but I want him to recognise that I'm doing those things. You know, it's that kind of thing. Just didn't feel kept in mind. And you have to learn to take responsibility for your own shit, which I really didn't like to do. And I'm still not great at it. But you're learning and you're evolving. And that that's the key thing isn't it like you should always be as an individual evolving as a person like we don't want to be stuck or stagnant because it's not it's actually not good for us psychologically we should feel like we are progressing and that is also a key thing to say but one of the things that come out with what you were just saying is like support just having that support whether it is you know postpartum pre you know prenatal or with your partner or with friendships because they change and they shift and move and or navigating moving house like whatever it is just saying okay we have a support system in hand rather than it being tarnished with this really bad stigma attached to it that all like things are really bad like if you're going to couples therapy no, we've just realised actually that we're not communicating in the best way and actually we just need a little bit of support just to help us through that. And that's okay. And it is, it's help. Like you can't, you get so, you can't see the wood for the trees, right? That's the thing. You get so into this relationship that it's impossible for you to look at it objectively and you need an objective set of eyes. But also the tiniest little tweaks, it wasn't like we went in there and she revealed a whole load of stuff that we'd never even thought of before it was just tiny tweaks that she gave us and the work was in us practicing those rather than reacting all the time the work was in us building those muscles of using those tiny tweaks instead of losing our shit so it was really essential because I hadn't seen that in my mum and dad's relationship Jimmy hadn't seen it and it hadn't been modeled to us and so now I hope, you know, I I was going to say now I see, you know, Jimmy's, I know that Jimmy's parents weren't very demonstrative to each other. Mine weren't really. And I, now I'm like constantly, I want the girls to see us hugging and kissing and all of that stuff, because that is what, you know, that is what love is. And that is, you know, I want them to see us having a disagreement and then coming back to it and going, hang on a minute, my part in it was this and I'm really sorry, because that's modelling good behavior basically and that's what I want them to do that's exactly what I said to my partner yesterday is that I just it's not that I don't want my little boy to not see us fight because we're going to get into disagreements but it's actually how we come back from that and how we resolve it and find a solution rather than going and just like you were saying reacting to each other yeah and it's the same when you have a fight with the kids as well. Like, it's the same when you lose your shit with the kids, right? Because we all do. And I know, I don't care who you are. Eventually, there isn't a human on the planet that can keep their patience when you've asked 511 two billion times for them to put their shoes on and they're still picking their nose and poking the cat. You know, every parent's going to lose their shit. That isn't a bad thing. Like, I think we can all distinguish between, like, healthy pissed offness and anger and rage that is unhealthy but if you're like healthily and quite rightly irritated and you lose your shit that's not a bad thing what's really important is the repair so going back to your kid and going listen I lost my temper and I shouldn't have that wasn't the best way to deal with this and I'm sorry for that 
you know, really modeling that stuff. Because I don't know about you, but my mum, I love her to bits. I don't think I've ever heard her say sorry. Mm. And that really is important to hear. Yeah, definitely. And actually, the older generations just don't know how to manage their emotions. They've never been taught either. So it's been conditioning after conditioning. And actually, I feel like it's only our generation and the younger that are now understanding that actually you don't have to keep going on with these cycles. Like I notice behavior that is from my parent, my mum. And yeah. my reactiveness, I go from zero to 100 very quickly. And that's always the way that she's been. So it's learnt behavior. And it's now understanding, okay, I can recognize it, I have self-awareness. And I do have the tools to actually either calm myself down or release that energy. Because this is another thing, like when you have like a trauma response or you're feeling triggered, we are taught at the moment to like, calm down and breathe and actually in those moments you can't always do that but what you can do is literally shake that energy out through the body through some form of movement and that that gets rid of the like the the anger and the rage that you're feeling or the anxiety so doing something else there's so many different ways to release it even if you go into the bedroom literally get a pillow and scream into it not in front of the kids I wouldn't recommend that but do like releasing it in another way because anger is a human emotion it's a human emotion it's okay to feel anger but it is definitely how you deal with it but yeah we're we're now having to like learn new ways of actually managing our human emotions well and also anger is always a secondary emotion right it's not necessarily an emotion in itself it's always triggered by something else mm-hmm. so you're tired and then for you'll end up angry or you're jealous you'll end up angry you're resentful you'll end up angry like I think there's always the reason behind it that you have to go why am I so angry about this like why is it that yesterday it took her 11 billion hours to put her shoes on and I was fine and today it's taken her like six hours and I've lost my shit like what is different today and I think that's what couples therapy and I think that's what sobriety and working the steps has really given me is actually it's not worth being angry and resentful about what you think other people have done said thought feel take a breath and let's fucking focus on what you have done thought felt and said because that you can make right actually that you have control over and that's all you can do so shifting that from like where can I lay the blame to Mm. Okay, there's always, I've always played a part in something. Like, even if I know that actually, you know, on the balance, I'm generally in the right, I also have fucked up a little bit. I have to have done because I'm not perfect and I've handled something badly here. And I'll take a minute now to think about that and go, hi, so I've had to think about it and it's possible (laughs) that I might have done this. And, you know, that's, that's so helpful. It, well, and it's not easy, FYI. Still want to choke on every apology that I give. But I am getting better at it. And also, once I've realised it's really addictive, actually. Once you own your shit and you sort of model that to the other person, it's like there's a real addiction to that. I mean, I, I would know I'm, I have an addictive personality, but 
it's really powerful to do that and to go, yeah, I was wrong, sorry. It's not as scary as you think it is. And you do feel a million times better when you've done it. I'm just going to quickly interrupt this episode to ask you a question. How do you balance cooking or weaning with the demands of a high-level job or running a business? I actually use a baby and toddler meal subscription service called Mama Made. They are for busy working mums who want nutritional organic food for their baby and toddler delivered frozen to their door. This has honestly been a lifesaver for me. As a very busy working mum running a business, I'm going to be honest, I'm too tired to cook and sometimes I just really don't enjoy it. So no more stressing, no more worrying about meal times. This subscription service is every working mum's dream. And I've got an exclusive offer just on the podcast. You can get 25% off your first three Mama Made boxes with the code MAMAMISSION25. So if you pop that in at the checkout, you get 25% off. I will leave the link in the show notes. Now let's get back to the episode. Yeah, and it, I guess it's empowering as well, isn't it? It's like, okay, I own up. This is my fault. This is what part I have to take in this. That's something that me and my partner have said. There's two things that we need to focus on, communication and taking responsibility, both of them. Yeah. And, and the thing is, you take responsibility for your good. Like, because eventually mm. that's going to break you. They're not going to care. Mm-hmm. They'll, you know, but actually it does you good to take responsibility and to be able to let it go. Otherwise it just sits there and you just start to think of yourself as this person that just fucks up all the time. You know, you need to just let it go. So it's, it's so, so important. Yeah. And I would love to know, you said you've got an addictive personality and I read that you're nearly six months sober, right? So what was that point in getting to sobriety? Like what happened? It has been a long journey. I was a very, very functioning alcoholic and addict, very functioning. I mean, I was the life and soul of the party. I wasn't a miserable drunk. I always had fun. I was silly, but I never stopped. Once I started, I never stopped. And I grew up in a family where they all drank a lot. You know, we went for Sunday, everybody had Sunday dinner. We'd all end up pissed. That was how we showed love. That was how we had fun. So, you know, drinking had always been, I'd always seen it in unhealthy settings and used badly, essentially. Um, And then I was always quite a heavy drinker, but it was really during lockdown that my drinking escalated it would be a lie to say I hadn't had concerns before I absolutely had but I'd felt like I'd managed to manage it but then during lockdown it really ramped up a bit and again still functioning but and never drinking during the morning never hiding alcohol around the house none of that you know I'm an alcoholic and one of the things I talk about a lot is that an alcoholic doesn't look a certain way and I think we all it took me a long time to to get that and to understand that I could be an alcoholic without this stereotypical checklist of like hiding it, hiding vodka bottles in the laundry. That isn't necessary. And I got myself into a couple of really bad scrapes throughout the years when I was really drunk or blackout drunk. And funnily enough, that hadn't necessarily been enough to get me into the rooms, into AA, but it was when, six months ago when I was having to look after my mum and my dad because my dad had knee operation, my mum has Parkinson's. 
So I was going up and down to, between London and Devon all the time. I was exhausted. I was spread so thin. And I was falling through the cracks in terms of my drinking because Jimmy didn't know how much I was drinking because I was always in Devon. They didn't know how much I was drinking because I was backwards and forwards all the time. And it was getting bad. Like I was probably doing two bottles of wine a night. And funnily enough, my tolerance was high. Like I was like, well, that's I, I can do two bottles of wine. But I was waking up at four o'clock every morning with anxiety attacks. And I've had loads of them throughout my life, but those, they're so scary. And even though arguably worse things had happened to me because of drink in previous times, it was these panic attacks that really got me because I kept waking up, I was exhausted, the anxiety was almost unmanageable. And I was like, how am I gonna look after my family my parents, myself, if this is what's happening to me every night, like what, this isn't normal, you know, and it had moved into drugs as well. There was all sorts of things and it's a progressive disease. You know, it's not, you don't get to a certain level of alcoholism and then just stay there. You know, mine slowly progressed, but it was progressing. And if I didn't stop, I knew it was going to progress further and probably faster. So, you know, I just made the decision to go to an AA meeting and my husband came with me it was zoom it was a zoom meeting so I was like you have to be in the room with me because I he's in a fellowship so he knows the format and uh I made him lie on the bed I've got a bed here that you can't see on the camera so I made him lie on the bed and just like be there and that was a game changer because I walked into that room and do you know what alcoholics look like they don't look like old men who live on park benches, which is genuinely what I thought I was walking into. I thought it would be a grotty, dirty, miserable experience. They were young people, old people, women like me, mothers, so many middle-aged... Oh, God, are we middle-aged? Am I middle-aged? I'm 40. I mean, that, my age. Women um, talking so openly and honestly about their experiences. And, you know, in, in a world where there are very few safe places, you know, to be open and honest without shame or judgment, that is such a gift. It's such a gift to me, especially because I work so much on Instagram, everything's so out there, to have a space where I know no matter what I say, mm. it's fine. It's safe and it's not judged. And actually, no matter how bad it is, and I've done some shitty things, no matter how bad it is, somebody's gets it somebody's done it as well or or worse you know so it's been a game changer really because it's not just been about giving up alcohol it's actually been about you know working the steps going through that process of really unpicking why I drink why I'm angry why I'm resentful and it's a very spiritual program you know I'm not a Christian I talk a lot about God but God isn't they ask you to use God in the word, in the way that you understand it, just a higher power vibe. Uh, and it's been an absolute fucking game changer. Why did you drink? Well, I, I, I drank because I spent my whole life thinking that I was feeling alone, right? I'm, I'm essentially an only child. I do have half brothers and sisters from previous marriages of my parents, but they never lived with us. So essentially an only child. And I think I grew up feeling like... I was always on my own, never had a buddy. I never had a, like a sister or somebody who I knew would stand up for me. And so there was a real self-reliance thing. I think 
I love my mum. She drank alcoholically for a while. I also really enjoy drinking. Like, and I know that this is something that I had a lot of fun drinking. I had a lot of fun drinking. You know, I don't look back on all of it. What What did it give you? It gave me confidence. I would walk into a room. I was a chameleon. I could walk into a room and I could be whatever that room needed me to be. I could adjust immediately. And booze allowed me to do that. It gave me the confidence to shed off that self-doubt of you have no idea who the fuck you are, what you think, feel or like and just go in and be exactly who they needed me to be. And I would be funny and outrageous and, you know, the life and soul. And that was all fine, except that when you come home, like, where's the real you? Like, I just changed all the time. And it was exhausting and mentally draining. And I felt like, I couldn't do anything social without a drink. In fact, I never did anything social without a drink. And I never just had one glass of wine in a million. People used to go out for dinner with me and they'd get up and they'd leave half a glass of wine. And I'd be like, what are you doing? Like, how could, how can you do that? How can you leave half a glass of wine? It, it blows my mind that, that is how some people can drink. I didn't drink necessarily every day. I mean, most days. I didn't, but but when I did drink, there was no way, if I opened a bottle of wine, there was no way that whole bottle wasn't going. And once that bottle had gone, I'd almost certainly deliver it for another. And then, you know, I'd be like, oh, I don't want to be hungover. So then I moved into like taking drugs to try and offset the, I mean, it was just a whole clusterfuck, but I genuinely thought I'd like figured it out. I was like, this is great. You know, I, I want to drink more and I don't want to black out. So I'll do this as, as well. That'll mean that I can drink more and I'm not going to black out. But then I'm not going to sleep. So I'll take a Xanax. Oh, fine. Sorted. Genuinely thought I'd got the world figured out. And I look back at it and I go. Literally collateral damage, isn't it? Yeah. And it's just a knock on effect. Like yeah. you said, the more and more you do it, the more it just becomes normal for you. And then it becomes habitual as well. I mean, I just listening to you it's like alcohol become your comfort blanket it become your way of trying to be confident when you weren't internally so rather than working on what's going wrong you just masked it and that gave you the confidence so then now what's what's changed because what about your confidence how do you feel in social situations now well it wasn't easy at first that was in fact I had lunch with a friend and she was like what was the scariest thing like not knowing who you were without alcohol or well, I can't actually remember the second thing but because it was the first thing the first the scariest thing was who the fuck am I without alcohol you know I'm a good time I was never an angry cross contentious argumentative drunk I didn't cry I was a good fucking time and so it was really hard for me at first. And I remember the first dinner I went to with a really good friend of mine and two people, a friend of hers that I'd not met before, one I had met, but I'd been absolutely shit-faced, so let's say I hadn't met them. And the panic I had about that event, you know, I ordered an outfit because I thought, listen, if I can't drink, at least I'm going to look fucking fabulous. I missed the delivery. DPD came, I was out. You should have heard me on the phone to DPD. I was despicable. I was horrendous. She was like, you weren't in. I was like, how do you know? Like, 
and it wasn't anything to do with her. It wasn't anything. I was just losing my shit. I just didn't feel safe in this. I was like panicking. Anyway, I went and did I love the night? No. Did I get through it without drinking? Yes. Has it got easier? Absolutely. Now, I went to an event yesterday. I didn't know anybody. Normally, I would have wanted to stop for a glass of wine beforehand. I would have left the house early so that I could have a glass of wine before I went. And I walked in and I was like, I feel good about this. Like, I've, I'm doing the work. I know that that person that was fun and a good time is still there. It's just I have to find another way to activate her that isn't substance abuse. So it does get easier. And, you know, the thought of my life without alcohol now is, yeah, it's, I mean, it's of course there's still moments where I go, oh, you're not really an alcoholic, like you can have a drink. And then I go, well, if I wasn't an alcoholic, I probably wouldn't have a voice telling me I wasn't an alcoholic and I could have a drink. Like people who aren't alcoholics don't have that voice. So it's good. and I'm at peace with it. And I think, you know, I've never heard of anybody that gave up booze and said, oh, my life's worse now. That doesn't happen. So I feel like it's it's the right thing. And it's, you know, it's not always easy. And there's still tough days. But I'm in a program. I've got a great sponsor you know, and I'm doing the work and that's helping not just me not be an alcoholic, but it's helping me be a better person. And that's kind of, that's really fucking cool. Yeah. And just from like a personal perspective. So my mum was an alcoholic growing up. So I relate to, I lived in AA groups. Like that's what I used to go to after school with her and things like that. And the transformation in her as a person, I mean, she's like, what, 17 years or something sober now. But the transformation in her is incredible. Like it, and also she used confidence um, as a, well, sorry, it masked her, her real person. She's quite an insecure person naturally. And she's had to build that up and do things outside of her comfort zone. And now, obviously, you know, she will be in social, social situations where people are drinking and she can do that without it being triggering as well, which is really amazing so you're on such an incredible journey you learn so much about yourself as well and yeah it can just be the best thing for you your family but I also want to know something just come up like I know you said the anxiety attacks were obviously the the thing that kind of changed it for you but was it just the anxiety attacks or was there anything that was like a pivotal moment where you're like, I can't do this anymore because it's affecting other people? Yeah. I mean, I have war stories. They're not great. The son that I could share, the son, I mean, I remember a bit, you know, I was sexually attacked in blackout oh, by a man I was supposed to be working with. That probably should have been enough to get me into the rooms, but it wasn't. You know, there are other things, of course there are, you know, there's still stuff I'm working through, but I think it doesn't really matter what gets you there, you know, it's about how you work when you get there, and like, I could have walked into those mm -hmm. rooms and not been ready, but I wasn't ready after that attack, but I was ready after those panic attacks, there's no rhyme or reason to it, it doesn't make any sense, but that that was the thing, and I think you know, being older helps. Also, I've really partied. Like, I, 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 I've I, worked in the music industry for a long time. That's, I've partied. Like, I have really gone for it. You know, and I didn't just go out and come home at, like, two. Like, if I went out, I was home at eight the <laughs> next morning. Like, I feel like I've really done it. 
And as cute, it, it, I, and for me, it's just not cute. It's not a cute look for me at 40 with two kids to be so hungover that I can't get out of bed to take them to the park. Or, you know, and I've just remembered this. Here's me saying something in public that I haven't really thought through. But like, or going out all night when we had, you know, when Jimmy was it, going out all night, coming back, him having to leave to go and tour, me not having any sleep and having to like take the kids to the park. Like, let me tell you, that is not a fun experience. Oh, no. Just being hung over full stop with children is an absolute killer. Oh, it's all awful. It's all awful. And so, you know, as a mum, I'm a better mum sober. They never saw me shit-faced. I mean, they saw me drinking and they saw me probably a bit drunk, but they never saw me, like, passed out or vomiting or anything like that. But they did see me not being able to get out of bed because I was too hungover to go to a birthday party or to take them to the park or, you know, any of those things. So it's a mu- and I'm much more patient. I've got more time. I like myself more. So I'm nicer to other people. The rage has gone, you know, like I still get angry and I still shout. But the rage, that white hot rage that just used to come over me, that's gone. So, yeah, I'm really you know it's sort of cliche it's day at a time stuff but I am so grateful to be an alcoholic if that makes any sense I'm so grateful that it got me it here to this place where I'm learning so much about myself and being a better person Oh, I love it. I love hearing this because it's so positive. And actually, you've done so much and you've just released a book as well, haven't you? Oh, yeah, that little thing. (laughs) Excuse me while I get a prop. (laughs) Oh, hi. Here she is. I love it. And you've got like a baby's vest on there as well. So tell us what it's about. Yeah. So basically, it's called The First Time You Smiled or Was It Just Wind? And, uh, it's, I've worked with HarperCollins. They got in touch with me and said, we really want to do this and we think you're the right person to do it. And basically there is, there's no record journal. You know, those record yeah. baby, baby journals where it's like first tooth, first whatever. There isn't really twee, pastely, full of bunnies or really boring. And also none of them are inclusive. Not one baby record journal book is inclusive. So it always assumes that a man and a woman put a penis in a vagina and had a baby. Mm. And actually there are so many ways that people can have babies and make a family that I was like, it has to be, we cannot make that assumption. And so however you came about becoming a parent, it's got space for you. So for example, there's no family tree in there, but there's like your village. So you can put whoever you want in there as terms of the people that help you bring up your kids and are your support system. And it's just, it's really parent-centric as well. I wanted it, yes, of course, you can hand it down to the kids if you want to. But actually, you know, for the first few months, there's lots in there that I wish I'd been able to read that's spoken to the parents about what's normal, what's not, you know, empowering them to make their decisions. And, you know, so I'm really proud of it. And it's out on June the 23rd, but you can pre-order it now. And that's from Amazon, right? You can pre-order it. Yes, pre-order it from Amazon. Yes, it is. It won't be in any other stores until after June 23rd. So right now it's just Amazon, but then it'll be other places. Amazing. Oh, congratulations on, you know, getting a book out there. That's such an achievement, honestly. But you know what? Listen, just before we do that, it's not like I've written a whole like chapter book. It is like, you know, there's lots of gaps and things. But I did come up with all the ideas of like things. There's things like ridiculous things in there, like parent bingo, 
you know, where like you find you, you say to yourself, I'm never going to say those things. And then you always do. So like, do I need to call Father Christmas <laughs> or, you know, money doesn't grow on trees, all those things that you swear you're never going to say. So we've got parent bingo in there that like you can cross off when you say them. But yeah, it's fun, but it's supportive and it also is a lovely place to record those things that you want to remember. And actually, I had like a pregnancy diary, which I recorded everything. And it was the best thing that I ever did. And actually, I regret not doing it postpartum. I mean, it was because I had postnatal depression was not in a place to do yeah. any. I wouldn't even want to read that back, I don't think. But the prenatal <laughs> side. So having something to journal because you move on so quickly and things happen so fast, especially as they grow up that you don't record and you can't keep everything in your brain no way like the brain can't it's a filing system isn't it it might try and remember and you find that file but it's really nice to yeah record everything so I think you're right and just I just want and you can with this you can record the like the normal stuff the day the first walks yeah. and got the first tooth and the rest of it but also you can record those things that you're actually going to talk about later in life nobody's going to sit around dinner party when you when you're doing your speech for your kid's wedding talk about the day they first walked you're going to talk about the time they cut their own hair and destroyed your charlotte tilbury lipstick by rubbing it into egyptian <laughs> cotton sheets which by the way is a real thing that happened to me that's the thing that you can talk about. So it's that you can talk about the first time we had to parent hung over and she was a nightmare. Those are the things. So there's things in there that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily find in other books, but I think are the things that you do want to remember as well. And just going back to the the inclusive, because that is so important and that's something that really does need to be addressed just in general, really, doesn't it? I mean, I, I sometimes have to say to myself, okay, I, I mean, I talk to mothers all the time. That's kind of my niche. That's my audience. That's who I speak to. But at the same time, I'm all about inclusivity and making sure that everyone feels that they are being represented. So just even this is like, I always like to think of it. Anything like this is like a pebble in the big kind of water. And we just need more and more pebbles to make this I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Do you know, like, we just need to talk about these things, like, and it's just it's such an important topic. Well, we need to, we need to make people feel, yeah, and also people who do fall into that, like, man, woman, heterosis, like, they still find it really hard and they're still really isolated. So just imagine yeah. if you don't fall into that and you're not even really recognised or acknowledged very much by health departments or books or movie anything the isolation must be crippling Mm. and so it was really important to me that we represented so you know I think I can't remember how many ways we came up with but I think we came up with like 25 possible ways that you could potentially become a parent wow you know and you just get to tick one so you know however it looks and it's it's just really important to me that it was a book that anybody could use and get something from and would you like to write another one? Because usually people don't just do one. Yes. They end up doing more and then more. <laughs> I know. I would like to write another. I mean, I'm a writer by trade. That's my thing. Like, so, mm. yes, I would like to. I've pitched a couple of ideas. Who knows? Obviously, HarperCollins like, well, we have to wait and see how the first one goes. But my ADHD brain's like, no, but let's, let, let's yeah. do this now. But, yeah, I'd like to, definitely. And what would it be? Would it be more of a novel or would it be something else? Or would it be like... 
I think what would you love to do? I, I mean, it really depends. I'd love to write more. I'd like, I'd like it to be a book. I'd love to write a memoir kind of based on the sobriety things. I know there's a lot of quitlet out there, but I would like to kind of perhaps explore that. That has comes with it a whole load of stuff, obviously, because you have to talk about everything, and that's not always just your story. It's lots of other people's stories. But also, maybe I was thinking it would be cool to do like some sort of like daily reflections for parents. So like a book that's got 365 tiny, like essays or or something that is just like today you read this and that, you know, just because I don't think we have time to read a book Mm. or a novel when you've got a new baby. But in that first year, just to get you through those first, you know, just to make you feel Mm. seen, to make you feel like you're not the only one. I think something like that, but who knows? It won't happen unless the first book sells really well. So everybody needs to go and order it now. (laughs) So in the show notes, I'm going to leave the link. You can pre-order it now. Kat, you've been amazing. Thank you so much for being such an incredible guest. Um, Tell everyone where they can find you. So I am on Instagram as at NotSoSmugNow. On TikTok, it's the same, at NotSoSmugNow. And if you go to www. I love how I just said www. Like, (laughs) <laughs> like everybody doesn't know that that's what happens. So if you go to not so, I think you should say hey HTTPS yeah. <laughs> <and> colon. <laughs> if you go to notsoesmugnow.com, you can read my blog and there's a the letter I send out twice a week on a Tuesday and a Friday that's not sales or anything. It's just like here's a vibe for you today, basically. So you can sign up there. Oh. Amazing. And also, just before we log off, I'd love to know, where does the name come from, Not So Smug Now? So I was definitely one of those parents when I was pregnant. I was like, they're going to have wooden toys and we're going to eat organic food and we're going to play with crystals and I'm going to make them learn Mandarin and sign language and we'll use cloth nappies. Uh, And then obviously the baby came and I was like, here's a dummy where's the formula somebody get me some gin you know and I was like I am not so smug now like that I have learned my lesson it's amazing I love it (laughs) okay thank you thank you thank you so much for having me Charlotte Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, I would love it if you would subscribe and leave me a review and tell me what you loved about the episode because this helps more mums. And as a special thank you, I will send you a free resource, which is the Get Shit Done Mama Productivity Planner to help you feel more organized, more motivated and inspired on a daily basis. All you have to do is leave me a review on Apple iTunes and send a screenshot over to info at charlottejonesy.com and we'll send you a free copy see you in next week's episode lots of love and light you're listening to mama on a mission what if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation where it's not about mission statements but a shared mission At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers.